Hello, and welcome to the Park Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor David Blakely. Our goal is to preach the Word of God in a real and authentic way, so you are filled with the Spirit to guide you through life each and every week. To learn more about Park Baptist Church, visit parkbaptist.com. And now, Pastor David Blakely. My message this morning is why the Bible matters. And um, I, I think it's very important for us to, to understand the significance of the Word of God. Um, D.L. Moody, if, if you've listened to me preach very long, um, I've, I've mentioned his name many times. He was a, a pastor in 19th century, in the 19th century, and he was a um, very godly man. Up in, his ministry was, was primarily in the Chicago area. Um, but I have a quote from him that says, I never saw a useful Christian who was not a student of the Bible. And I would like to begin by asking you a very personal question. Are you a useful Christian? What difference are you making for the kingdom of Jesus Christ? You know, understand that there is going to come a day when we will stand before God and he is going to examine our lives and we will have to respond with how we lived our lives. Um, you know, what are you doing with the skills, the abilities, your time, your resources that are being used by God to advance the kingdom of God? There's a, a parable that Jesus tells, and I'm going to read the parable. It's, it, it's the, the parable of the talents. It's found in Matthew chapter 25, beginning with verse 14. Jesus is speaking and he says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who calls his servants um, and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to, to uh, another two, and to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received five talents went at once and traded with them and made five more talents. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master." And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, by the way, this is the way you do not want to talk to your boss. Um, Master, I knew that you were a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. 
But his master answered him, You wicked, slothful servant! You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gathered where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have at least received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will be um, be given more, and he who has an to he who has an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I, I read this to you so that every one of us will understand that we will be held accountable for what we have done and not done for the kingdom of God, for the cause of Christ. You know, you you might be living the best life ever. You might be an absolute joy to work with. You might be the best mom or the best dad. You know, you might have never missed church, not even once. But what are you doing for the cause of Jesus Christ? In 2 Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy and Paul says, but Timothy, certainly you know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love and my endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. But the Lord rescued me from all of it. Yes, and everybody who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Paul here is describing his service for Christ. Now, don't misunderstand Paul's job. His employment was to build tents, but his purpose was to serve Jesus Christ. You may be retired. You may still be working at a job. You may be a stay at home parent. You might be a student, but your purpose is to be in the service of the kingdom of Christ. There is no, no, no um, exceptions to that. There is a book that I have entitled The Christian Atheist, Believing in God, but Living as Though He Doesn't Exist. And it's by uh, Craig Groeschel, if, if you're interested. The thing is, too many of, of we so-called Christians live like atheists. You know, we, we claim to be followers of Christ, but there's nothing about our lives to indicate that, that that's actually true. Being a good person who goes to church is not living for Christ. In, in John chapter 14, Jesus is speaking, and this is what Jesus says. Those who really love me are the ones who not only know my commandments, but also obey them. My father will love such people and I will love them. I will make myself known to them. All who love me will obey my teaching. My father and will love them. My father and I will come to them and live with them. But anyone who does not love me does not obey my teaching. 
So the evidence of salvation isn't that you walked an aisle or prayed a prayer or got baptized. The evidence of salvation is that you live a life of obedience to Jesus Christ. Now, back in verse 14 in 2 Timothy again, this is, this is our responsibility. Paul says, but you, begin with verse 14, but you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they're true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scripture from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting Christ Jesus. Now, this morning, I'm wanting to help you understand that you have a responsibility as a child of God. This may come as a shock to you, but Jesus didn't die on the cross so that you and I can sit on our rumps until we die of old age and then we get to go to heaven. That, that is not the Christian model. We all have a job to do. We have a responsibility to Jesus Christ, and he holds us accountable to live and fulfill our responsibilities. You know, usefulness for Christ comes about as a result of a changed life. So how do we become useful? How do we become changed well, again, we go back to D.L. Moody. I never saw a useful Christian who was not a student of the Bible. Be a student of the Bible. That's, that's the, the number one thing that we need to be engaged in. It, again, it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter how dumb you think you are. God wants you to be a student of the Bible. In the United States Marine Corps, they have a saying, every Marine is a rifleman. And what that means is no matter what your job is in the Marine Corps, you might be a truck driver, you might be a general, you might be a pilot, it doesn't, you might be a cook. It doesn't matter what job you have, you are first and foremost able to use a rifle. Now, as Christians, we are expected to be engaged in the ministry of Christ. It doesn't matter what your occupation is. Your rifle is the word of God. And each of us need to know how to use the word of God and, and apply it to our lives and be able to speak to other people. Verse 16 back in 2 Timothy is all scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it. In other words, uses the word of God to prepare us and equip his people to do every good work. So the rest of this message is going to be how the Bible affects us, how the Bible changes us. The very first thing it does is the word of God leads us to have a have godly character. 
You know, the, the scripture becomes when, when it's, when we read it, when we engage the scripture, when we apply it to our lives, it becomes the fire that burns away the sin in our lives, that burns away the, the garbage in our lives that, so that we can focus on what needs to be done. Romans chapter 12, verse two says, don't be like the people of this world, but let God change the way you think. Then you will know how to do everything that is good and pleasing to him. The word of God was the agent, if you will, that changed Paul's life. I think most of us are familiar with the story of, of Paul. He was Saul. He was a, a Pharisee in the, in the Jewish religion. And he was, was bent on seeking out Christians and, and killing them, persecuting them, because he thought they were a false religion. And then on his way from Jerusalem to Damascus, he is confronted by God. God, Jesus appears to him and causes him to be blinded. And it's not until a few days later that, that God heals his blindness and he becomes a follower of Christ. He goes from being Saul, the persecutor to Paul, the apostle. Now, when Paul got saved, he didn't immediately run out and start preaching. What he did was for three, approximately three years, he went off into the wilderness of, of Arabia and studied God's word. He applied God's word. He, he learned what, what God is about and what God is doing. He had known the scriptures frontwards and backwards. He was a, a Pharisee. But now, because of the Holy Spirit in his life, he had a new understanding. He had a fresh insight into, into God. And this is the result. Verse 10. Timothy, you certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance. If you want godly character, study the word of God. And when you study the word of God, your life is going to become known for a life of faith, a life of patience, a life of love, a life of endurance. You know, if you struggle with sin, and just to be real honest here, if you don't struggle with sin, it's probably because you're not a Christian. Because if you are living the Christian life, you are going to constantly be wrestling and struggling with the sin that, that hangs around in your life. So if you're not struggling with sin, let that be a huge red flag that you're probably not a saved person. But when you become engaged in the word of God, when you begin to really study, really dig in, what's going to happen is the word of life is going to take hold in you and you're going to begin to experience um, transformation. You're, you're going to begin to experience God's word coming alive in your life. God's word is alive because God spoke it. And so when you, when you apply it in your life, there will be transformation. 
The second thing that happens when you get into the word of God is you gain endurance. At the end of verse 10, Paul mentions endurance. And then verse 11, he says, you know how much persecution and suffering I've endured. You know all about how I was persecuted, and, but the Lord rescued me. As Christians in God's service, we need to have the capacity to endure. You know, it's it's a hard life. The Christian life is a hard life. And it was Paul's knowledge of God's word that sustained him. You know, Paul, the, the, the suffering that Paul went through is, is well known. You know, he was shipwrecked. He was beaten multiple times. He was imprisoned. He was stoned. That doesn't mean he was stoned. I mean, he was stoned. You know, people threw rocks at him. He, he had a hard, hard life. But he kept pursuing because the word of God was alive in his life. As Christians, we need to understand that our life is not an easy life. And we have to have the ability to endure, to not quit. Now, the third thing the word of God does is it helps us to conform to Christ Jesus. Verse 12 says, yes, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. That, that's the piece I'm wanting to look at. It should be the ambition of every child of God to live a godly life, to become more and more and more like Jesus. That should be our, 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 our challenge, our, our, our goal. But we also need to understand that when we begin to live the word of God, when we begin to apply it to our lives, there's going to be one of two responses from the world. One response, the one we, we want, is for when someone sees Christ evident in you, that they say, you know what, there's something different about your life. There, there's something about you that... I need in my life and you have an opportunity to lead them to Christ. But for the most part, what's going to happen is when, as you become more and more Christ-like is people are going to say, I hate you. I, I hate the fact that you, you make me feel like a sinner. When, when I'm around you, I feel guilty because I see the stuff in my life and, and it makes me respond negatively to you. And that's exactly what happened to Jesus. Jesus walked around telling people about the love of God. He walked around telling people that they, they need to live a life that is focused on, on God. And people hated him for it. When we grow in Christ... We should expect to be persecuted. The, the, the next thing, the fourth thing, the word of God helps us to be protected from deception. In verse 13, and I'm, I'm using the, um, the message translation here. It says, unscrupulous con men will continue to exploit the faith. They are as deceived as the people they lead astray. And as long as they are out there, things can only get worse. The word of God protects us because when we study the word of God, when we are engaged in the word of God, we can spot 
frauds. We can recognize people who are not really living the godly life. Have you ever watched some of these TV preachers and just the silly shenanigans that they are up against, that they do? I was watching one the other day and he's in this big, huge building and he takes off his coat and his coat is energized by the Holy Spirit, according to him. And he takes his coat and he flings it like this. And everybody in the first few rows falls out into a, uh, you know, it's like, you've got to be kidding. Who, who believes that nonsense? But the fact is, the building was packed full. Why do they believe it? They are deceived and they have no spiritual discernment. You know, this is important that when you become a student of the Bible, the spirit of God in you is going to give you the ability to recognize false teaching. Now, the word of God also develops strong convictions. And again, this is something that, that is desperately needed. In verse 14, it says, you may remain faithful, but you must remain faithful to the things that you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. In essence, what Paul is saying to Timothy is, hey, Timothy, you have all of these false teachers that are, are presenting all of this nonsense, but you have the truth. And so don't let yourself be deceived and you stand strong by what you know is right. You know, we, we are in a culture today that wants to make everything acceptable, make everything okay. And as followers of Christ, we have to stand up and say, no, this is wrong. This is sin. You know, uh, homosexuality, sex outside of marriage. There are, there's a list of things that our society says, embrace it. It's okay. It's acceptable. And the reality is, is the Bible calls it sin. And it's our job to stand up and say, no, this is is wrong. Thus says the Bible. We have to. If we don't, who will? You know, who, whose job is it? It's our job. And so we have to have the conviction to, to believe the word of God. We have to be transformed by the word of God so that when this stuff is put out there, we're able to say, no, this is wrong. You know, we have to do this. I saw a quote this week that I, I really thought was appropriate. It says, if I teach my son to keep his eye on the ball, but fail to teach him to keep his eyes on Christ, I have failed as a father. That is a very true statement. And we live in a society where you know, we're, we're making sure our kids get to all of the ball practices. You know, that that's important. You know, we, we want to make sure our kids do well in school, but are we teaching them the word of God? Are they developing a conviction so that when they confront things at school, they're able to say, I recognize that what this is being, what's being said or what's being presented is wrong. It's sin. 
I, uh, this another quote says, if you if you send your kids off to to Caesar in order to be educated, don't be surprised when they come home as Romans. And I, you know, we need to understand that our kids need to have a strong biblical foundation so that when they are exposed to things in the public arena, whether it's at a school or whether it's on Facebook or, you know, any of the other TikTok, wherever it is, you know, it, it doesn't matter where they are being exposed to the world and to the value system of the world. Where are they getting the value system of Jesus Christ? You know, if you're counting on this one service once a week to get your spiritual nourishment, you're starving to death. I, I'm telling you, I might be an awesome preacher. You know, I mean, hey, but. <laughs> yeah. So so let's let's understand how serious this really is. Next, we need to understand that the word of God leads to salvation. Verse 15, you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have, been they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Do you see that, you know, if you are a child of God, if you are a born-again Christian, that came about because the Word of God was presented to you, you repented of your sin and you turned your life over to Christ. It's the word of God that brings salvation. In John chapter five, Jesus is speaking and he says, I tell you for certain that everyone who hears my message and has faith in the one who sent me has eternal life and will never be condemned. They have already gone from death to life. You search the scriptures because you think you will find eternal life in them. The scriptures tell about me. From Genesis to Revelation, the truth of God's holy word reveals the, the holiness, the majesty, the loving kindness of God. Scripture also shows us that God offers forgiveness and redemption from sin. You know, that's, we get all of this from the word of God. You know, we must understand that it's the scripture that's inspired. You know, it, it's, not, it's not the writers that were inspired. It's the scripture they wrote that was inspired. You know, Moses and Paul and Peter, James and John and, and you know, Malachi and you know, all of those guys, they were sinners just like me and you. But God anointed them, and when they wrote it down, that scripture is the word of God. It is the inspired word of God. In, in scripture, God reveals his truth, his character, his authority, you know, and his divine plan for redemption. So it's through scripture that salvation happens. The word of God also provides instruction for how, how to live a sanctified life. 
Verses 16 and 17, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Remember that sanctification is a lifelong ongoing process. You will never be through becoming Christ-like in this life. It, it'll never happen. You know, the apostle Paul said, I am the greatest sinner of all. He, he was clearly one of the greatest Christians of all time. And yet he understood that he, he was still a sinner. But the process of allowing the word of God to work in your life and to transform you is an ongoing process. And, and the word of God becomes your primary tool to become clean, to be purified, to be convicted of sin. It, it, it's, it's where we learn everything about God. All scripture is inspired by God. You know, the word of God is not a collection of wisdom or or insights from a bunch of godly men. It's God's truth in his own words. And and it, it, it is the key to your Christian life. Second Peter one, verse 20 and 21 says, but you need to realize that no one alone can understand any of these prophecies in the scripture. The prophets did not think these things up on their own, but they were guided by the spirit of God. Now, every word is scripture. And because it's God's word, it's alive. It's dynamic. God's word has the ability, again, verse 16 and 17, to teach us what is true, to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what's right. You know, God uses it to prepare us. I would like to end this message where I begin. I would like to ask you a personal question. Are you a useful Christian? You know, what difference are you making for the kingdom of God? When the day comes and you stand before God and he examines your life, what will you have to present? What will you have done with your skills, your abilities, your time, your resources for the five talents that he has given some of you, for the three talents he has given some, to one and one talent he has given some. Have you invested them or have you buried them? It's not too late to, to make a difference. Again, you are never too old to be about the work of the kingdom. There is no age cutoff and there is no retirement for the kingdom of God. Verse 17, God uses his word to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Make the commitment to become a serious student of God's word. The sermon notes that, that are out, and if we run out, I'll be glad to run more. Their one page is nothing other than the usual outline that I give you. The second page is how to do a basic Bible study. 
it, you know, there's a million different ways to study the Bible. But if you're not really sure how to begin, that second page is just a basic instruction on how to study the Bible. And, you know, the, the key is to get in and begin to dig and begin to root out what, what you can from the Bible. You don't have to be a Greek scholar. You don't have to be any kind of a scholar. You just have to have a heart that is hungry to know and become more like Christ. Learning God's direction to everyday live should never stop. You know, this is how you ensure your spiritual growth. And this is critical. There is no exception for any one of us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we more than anything need more of you in our lives. You are the answer to everything that we are struggling with. You are the answer to every problem we have. You are the answer to every difficulty we have. You are the answer to every sin that we have. And Father, I just pray that this morning you will, you will drive home our need to be in your word. Help us, Father, not to walk out of here today and go, huh, and, and leave that behind. Lord, let this be a beginning point to have changed lives because we have engaged you in the word. Father, please help us. There is nothing that matters more right now than, than our connection to you, our relationship with you. Please drive that home. And I pray all of this in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.